So at the beginning of summer last year, my best mate from back home in Sheffield, Tom, that's us there together, we got the call up to play for a cricket team. And this is surprising seeing as the only cricket experience we had between us was my one season in a church league at the age of 14, in which I recorded the worst batting score in the league that season. So me and Tom came to the realization that we needed some practice before showing off our lack of talent in the big match. We knew uh, some cricket nets um, that were free to use in a park in one of the more rougher parts of Sheffield. So we took our pads and our bats and set up to practice. And we probably looked like complete idiots because the other people practicing were just using no gear, full on, just get hit by the cricket ball and it won't hurt. Um, Knowing my batting ability was pretty low, I decided to bowl first. So Tom set up and I um, bowled. It went smoothly. He played a few nice shots. I bowled him out a few times, and so we switched over. I put on all the cricket pads, helmet, etc., and became the definition of all the gear. Absolutely no idea. <laughs> As I started to walk down um, towards the um, stumps, I heard Tom say that he was pretty bad at bowling. But I thought he couldn't be that bad. I was wrong. As Tom went to bowl, he let go of the ball way too early, and he somehow managed to throw the ball over the nets, over the gate, and onto the road. The next thing I heard was the sound of a rock-hard cricket ball hitting a car. I saw the shock on Tom's face, and at this point, I absolutely legged it. <laughs> I ran straight out of the nets, which is pretty hard to do in cricket pads, um, straight in the opposite direction to where the ball had hit the car, and I left Tom to deal with the consequences of actions on his own. It's worth pointing out that it all worked out okay. From behind a tree, I saw Tom walking out the park towards the car. It turns out the car owner found the ball, um, but didn't realize that the ball had hit his car, and it somehow didn't leave a mark. And from that point on, Tom bowled underarm. <laughs> the story we're looking at um, today begins with a man who, like me in the park, is also running away. As you have seen from the title of this series, this man is Jonah. And today we are starting to look at the book of Jonah, which is found in the Old Testament section of your Bible. So if you have your Bibles on you, it'd be great if you could open it to this book. But if not, the verses are on the screen. Today we are focusing on the first chapter of Jonah, and this is where we first see that Jonah is running away because God has asked him to do something which he does not want to do. Verses 1 to 2. The, Lord, uh, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now let's just stop here um, and for a second and rewind to give Jonah and the city of Nineveh some context. Now, Jonah was known to be a prophet in Israel way before the birth of Jesus. Now, prophets were regarded as individuals who were in contact with God and would speak on God's behalf to deliver divine messages to people. For the Old Testament geeks like me, Jonah is found only one at the time in the Old Testament. He's found in a book of two kings. And this, in this story, Jonah is found to be prophesying over one of the most horrible kings of Israel, named Jeroboam II. 
Now, Jonah said to this king that God's favor was over him, even though other prophets of the time were saying that God was against the king. So some may be a little bit suspicious of Jonah. And then this brings us onto the book of Jonah, where we see God speak to his prophet and cause him to preach against the city of Nineveh, whose wickedness was going against God. Now, when I read this, the image I, had of, I have in my head of Nineveh's wickedness was that the people of the city were just being a little bit naughty. What I pictured was these people were maybe drinking a little bit too much. Maybe they were t- telling a few cheeky fibs, maybe playing a little bit of spin the bottle. But in fact, the word wickedness used here does in fact that they were absolutely off the rails. They were full-blown going against God. They were terrifying and ruthless and were known as the city of bloodshed. Nineveh were famously known to be the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And this this empire was recognized to be one of the cruelest and most horrifying empires of ancient times. The people of the city would go around capturing their enemies, torturing them gruesomely and burning their homeland. These people were famously feared by all and especially the people of Israel, which is where Jonah is from. So for Jonah to be called out of his homeland to go to this city would actually have been pretty crazy, and he, of course, would have been scared. When God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, Jonah would would have been thinking that this is utterly pointless. They just won't listen to me, and it would have been literal suicide. The equivalent of this in my life would be for me as a Liverpool football fan, we'd get to go to a Liverpool versus Man United game, walk across to the centre of the Man United fans with a megaphone and scream that they're supporting the wrong team. They, of course, would not listen and it would have ended very badly for me. Jonah hearing God say this to him, he would have been very terrified. Jonah heard the word of the Lord speak to him and he wanted control. He was comfortable in the way of life he was set in, and this led him to running when he was called out to journey with God. This is where we come to verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, Jonah was going to Nineveh, his response was to head, in the, head for Tarshish. Now, geographically speaking, Tarshish was in the complete opposite direction to Nineveh. This was not just a little wonder to get away from God. This was a man who was doing everything he could to get away. This was a man attempting to travel 2,500 miles to get away. Now, this picture of Jonah running away was adapted by Jesus. Hundreds of years after Jonah, Jesus told a story very similar to the one we see in this book. And many of us may know the story, and it's the story of the prodigal son. If you don't know this story, Jesus spoke about a son who asked for his inheritance of his father, and he ran away with it. The son wanted nothing to do with his dad, and he took off. Now, Jesus was using this picture of the prodigal son to symbolize how we, as children, have run away from God the Father. You see, the significance of the story of Jonah and of the prodigal son is that we all have run from God. This is referenced in Romans 3, 11 to 12. 
There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. You see, we all want control. We all at one point have have seen the life God offers us and have gone our own way. As a student, this is something that I experienced. I went into student life seeing all the temptations associated with the university and got caught in believing that following these temptations offered a better life than the one with God. And coming away from being a student, it's still so easy to believe this lie. We all have been in a position where we see the world around us and want to pursue that life even when God calls us to a better life, a life journeying with him. And when we want control, when we hold on to our sin, when we pursue these things instead of God, we are running from him. We are journeying with these things uh, we're journeying with these things and saying they're better than God. In our lives, we could be journeying with addictions. We could be journeying with unhelpful habits, journeying with wanting control. And the call we see in Jonah is that God is calling us to partner with him in them. See, God wants in. God wants in in these areas of your life where we hang on to control. He wants to take you on a journey that transforms your life into the one he intends for you. When God called Jonah to journey with him to Nineveh, he was absolutely terrified. And the call for you to give up control in areas of your life will always provoke a fearful response. But it's up to us whether we dismiss God and we run to Tarshish or we journey with God. Jonah's response was to run. We see he goes to a place called Joppa, and he got on board a ship to get away from God. And I think what Jonah was thinking, that the further he got away from Nineveh, then God would be like, okay, no worries, I'll just get somebody else. But God is not like this. In the midst of our running, no matter how far we go, God is is always beside us, longing for us to go back to him. That's the heart of the father we see in the prodigal son. He longs for his child to return no matter how far we turn away from God. He still remains faithful to us. Jonah 1 verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone, gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. In these verses, we see that as a result of Jonah running away and disobeying God, we see a storm start up. See, the insight we are shown that every act of disobedience against God has an associated storm. It's important to say that storms are not a punishment for our sins. In fact, when we sin, we see consequences for our actions. Of course, we know if we lie to a friend, it will lead to mistrust within a friendship. When we drink a bottle of vodka, we know we'll end up smashed. When we eat McDonald's every day, it will end up with us not having great health. 
when we turn away from God, we see earthly, act, earthly consequences for our actions, consequences for our actions. God is not there punishing our actions. He's not there being like, you've just eaten 100 Big Macs, now you'll have gout to spite you. <laughs> He's not a spiteful God. When we dismiss the laws of God, we are violating our own design in which God designed us to be in relationship with him. On the flip side of this, the life God calls us to is the life we're designed for. When we journey with God, we find life in its fullness. When we, we find this in John 10, where Jesus promises us life and life in its fullness. Journeying with God brings life. And wherever we have run, no matter how far we have turned from God, God is calling us back to relationship with him. That's where we find fullness of life. And often in the midst of our running, we see God's goodness, which is calling us back to him. Returning to the story of the prodigal son, we see the character of the son returning to his father and being embraced by him. God's mercy remains the same every day and his goodness breathes life into our lungs. And this is a life he's calling us to journey with him in. In the story of Jonah, although Jonah could not see it because of being afraid, God's mercy was at work within the storm to change Jonah's heart and draw him back. And if you're in a boat where you have run from God, I want you to know that God is calling you back today. Let's continue with our story of Jonah, verses 7 to 16. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out for the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you. For you, Lord, have, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So what we read in these verses is an interesting encounter in the midst of a storm between Jonah and the sailors. And we read that at the end of the first verse, we find these sailors that they greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. You see, God uses the running away of Jonah. He uses the storm that Jonah is in and he uses it to proclaim his glory. God uses our brokenness, 
our failures, where we have turned from God in our past. He uses it for goodness. We see this in Simon Peter, who is one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Just before Jesus' death on the cross, we see Simon Peter's brokenness when he rejects knowing Jesus three times. This is an act of turning away from God. But when Jesus rises from the dead, he affirms Simon Peter three times in his love of God. And from this place, it leads him to setting up the church to point to God's goodness. We have turned away, but when we return to God through his grace, we are affirmed that God doesn't use our failures against us, but instead for strength and to point to his glory. In preparing for my uh, GCSE exams, that's me back in the day, I found I'd become so focused on getting good results that I'd lost focus on God. My identity did not belong to God at this time, and I instead ran on a boat to pursue success and good grades. Shortly after I got my exam results back, although I was happy with them, I realized they did not measure up to the joy I find in God, and I turned back to him. I surrendered my desire for exam success to him, and in handing my weakness to God, he turned it into strength. You see, during my A-levels, I had a friend who I'll call Gary. Um, and Gary didn't know Jesus. And he became so anxious over, about exams that I was hurting him. Now, God placed me with this friend over A-levels. And we would call for about two hours every time he was getting anxious over work. And I'll be able to tell him about how Jesus had freed me from the pressure of exams. And my identity belongs to him, even in work. In my brokenness of how I viewed work, it became strength through Jesus to share the love of God to others in exams. Now, Gary has got through his A-levels now um, after dropping down a year and now works in properties with a Christian mentor. And I believe that God is still at work in Gary's life. And the message we see in Jonah is that even in our weakness, God uses it for good. Jefferson Bethke, who is an author and YouTuber, and his wife share their broken experiences and weakness of being in other unhealthy relationships in their book, Love That Lasts. They say in, this, in their book that their bad experience has stirred up a passion to help others um, in, their, in, in their bad experience and has stirred a passion to help others in this area of their life and to love, show the love of God in relationships. To quote their book, a broken pencil can still draw a straight line. Their weakness is used by God to draw a straight line to strengthen others. God calls us to hand our failures over to him. And when we're obedient to this call, God flips our brokenness into strength. Although we all do run from God, God does not want us to continue running because God all the more uses our obedience for his glory. But isn't it amazing that God can use our weakness to help strengthen a weak world? In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And I believe there may be people who have seen God transform them from their weaknesses 
but are being called to recognize that God wants to use it for strength. God wants us today to step up into strength. He wants to journey with you in vulnerability to seek others who are lost, and God wants to show them his love through you. When we see the character of Jonah in this first chapter, we see a man who is doing everything he can to hang on to control. This is a man who wants to control his own fate and hang on to every part of his life. In fact, we see the world around us, and the world tells us this is normal. Culture tells us that we should be masters of our own fate. Whereas the life we're called to live as followers of Jesus is to let Jesus take the wheel. You see, when Jonah is called by God to go to Nineveh, he is a man still driven by wanting control. And we can read between the lines a bit in this chapter, because Jonah's idea of what's going to happen is that God has told him to do something, and now it's totally in his hands to execute it. You see, I don't think he really trusts that if God has told him to do something, then it's going to be God, God's going to be the one in driving it to making it happen. The heart of God's calling over Jonah is to take him to other people. The mission he is to be sent on is not to be restricted to the Christian community walls he is in, but to look out to those who have also run away from God. The same calling is over our lives. God calls each of us who belong to him to go out to those who don't know Jesus and show them the love that has chased us down when we ran away, when we were lost and we were weak. We see this in Mark 13 when Jesus says, and the gospel must be preached to all nations. As we, um, as we journey with Jesus, he calls us to go out and share the good news of relationship with him to everyone. That's not just um, within the, for people within these walls. That's not just within our, for our close friends. The call is for all nations. We have been affirmed in the strength Jesus has given to us. And this strength calls us out, out to go and do. And even within this calling, in an act of going and doing, God goes ahead of us. God's plans are not reliant on us to make them happen. That's exactly where Jonah got confused. When God calls us out, he calls us to go with him. He's already gone ahead of us and he is calling us to join in with what he is doing. Back in uh, my first year of university, I really wanted the opportunity to go and share my faith with my housemates. Uh, so I prayed for opportunities to share my faith with them. But it turns out that God had already gone ahead of me. Because that evening I came back to my kitchen and one of my housemates was sat there. Being a little bit of an immature fresher, I thought it would be fun to ask her to play a bit of truth or dare. Um, I proceeded to ask her a silly question about boys which she didn't really respond to. And then she asked me, why do you believe in God? It turns out that she'd been reading a bit of her Bible, and we had a two-hour conversation about God, Jesus, and faith. God had been speaking to her way before I even knew. And God took me on the ride with him. He is calling us to go out and be bold, trusting that he goes ahead of us. The irony of Jonah's story is that he was running away from going to Nineveh to speak to people who did not know God. And he ran into sailors who also did not know God. Even in the midst of Jonah's failures, he was called to people 
God goes ahead of us in our weakness to testify of his love for others. And you may be here today thinking that you're too weak to be used by God. But as we have heard, God is wanting to partner with you to transform your flaws. God tells us when we hand our weakness to him, he uses it for his glory. And God does not use us strong, but he partners and journeys with the weak. God is wanting to journey with you today, wherever you're at. And you may identify with different themes within Jonah. We all may be in different boats of where we have run from God, where we have maybe in a boat where we have totally run away from God, where we have run and got in our own boat and we've gone in the completely opposite direction to God. But now you want to let God in and you want to journey with God. You may be in a boat number two where you love God, but there's an area of your life where you want to remain fully in control. Like Joan, you want to um, have that thing, you want to hold on to that area of your life and you do not want to show God it. Or you could be running from God and letting him use your weakness for strength. You have seen God transform you and you don't know how or you're too scared to use that for God's glory. Boat three. Or finally, you may be in a boat where you have run from God in pursuing others in going out and sharing God's love to those who don't know him yet. And within each of these boats, God is wanting to journey with you. He wants to partner with you to strengthen you. It's an act of us stepping out and giving God control, but it's a motion of stepping closer to him and walking alongside him.